Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. everyone welcome to an extra special episode of the tennis.com podcast we are wrapping up 2020 with two guests one of which you know very well Irina Falcone hey guys how's it going and we have a an amazing special guest it's one of my colleagues Matt Fitzgerald from tennis.com Matt welcome hi Nina and Irina so happy to be here Matt give us a little summary of your background what is your um, I guess work bio at tennis channel so uh, as you mentioned I work closely with you at tennis.com I kind of help oversee that website and editorial production, and then quite a bit on Tennis Magazine as well, doing player profiles and um, a little bit of social media. We're going to be looking at a top 10 list that Matt and I made for Tennis.com. It is the top 10 players of the year. We're also going to be looking at who we think is the most interesting player of the year, which is kind of our own special award we're handing out. And then we're going to look at this fast game. It's kind of like fast votes at the very, very end to recap the season, which has been obviously super bizarre, um, as well as look ahead to 2021, even though a lot of that is kind of unknown. So let's just start with our Tennis.com Players of the Year list. Our number five woman was Victoria Azarenka. And our number five man was Daniel Medvedev. Matt, does anything stand out to you about either of those two for this season? Yeah, I think let me start with Medvedev. I think if you look at the tennis season before the Paris Masters, I don't think he was in the conversation to be on this list. But because of everything he produced um, there and at the ATP finals, he really vaulted ahead of some other contenders based on the quality of wins that he had you know, at those two tournaments, um, going seven and zero against top 10 players. Um, so all credit to him on, on finishing with a 10 match win streak and really reasserting himself as someone to watch come 2021. I think with Azarenka, we all know that she had this tremendous swing of events in New York and Rome and Arena Sabalenka is someone who just missed out on making the list. Um, she won three titles, really had, herself a a really strong effort once the tour restarted. But for me, the head-to-head win that Vika had over her in New York was personally a difference maker because that came in the second round. And if you look at what Vika was able to achieve after that, it's just phenomenal. So no uh, discredit to Arena there, but I think for Vika, the quality again of wins and um, what she was able to do in such a condensed period of time was, was really special. Irina, does anything stand out to you about Azarenka's season? So Azarenka, I actually did a few of her matches while I was at the U.S. Open. And the one thing that me and I think everybody noticed is that she was just happy. She was so, so happy to be on the court. She looked so relaxed out there and it translated into her game. 
this is vintage Vika. I thought when I was watching her play, I was like, yeah, I remember when she was number one in the world and winning slams. This is what it reminded me of. And uh, yeah, I think it had a lot to do with all those TikTok dances too that she was doing. And she just looks so happy with her son, Leo. And uh, yeah. It is cool to see her come back to where you said vintage Vika. We mentioned that. It's been a couple of years since we saw her. 2016 is the last time I think she was playing her best tennis before obviously having her son. But it kind of is a message of like, was it like feel good, play good or something? I mean, it's look good, uh, play good, but it, it works. No, 100%. 100%. If you are feeling good, there's a good chance that it's going to translate into everything else. Um, and I think if you talk to a lot of players that are successful, they're just, they usually say, I just feel so good on the court, feel so good off court. And it, it's all it's all correlated 100%. And moving on to our number four players, we had Andre Rublev as number four and Simona Halep as number four on the women. I think Halep kind of had a disappointing year. I know it's, this is a bit savage, but I think she's at a level where she has to win a Grand Slam for it to like really, really, really count. Maybe that's too high of a, a standard, especially this season, like to be fair. And then Rublev, I think, is, is one of the most improved players of this season. Winning five titles is insane. Matt, what stands out to you about these two? Yeah, I mean, for Andre, he's always been someone, you know, you've wondered, when is he going to take that next step to get to that next level? Um, injuries and confidence issues have always kind of held him back a little bit. He has so much talent, maybe a little too much and not knowing kind of how to cultivate that on the court. But when you look at what he was able to do, um, especially in the second half of the season, after winning those first two titles at the start of the year, I think he's proven that he does have the ability to go further and get into the top five. And he has the best hair on tour. Irina, sure, <laughs> surely he has the best hair on tour. He has the best hair on tour and the best ground. I saw him playing uh, Berrettini at the U.S. Open this year. And I mean, the guy is just so intense, but... Nina, I have to say something about you saying that Halep had to win a slam this year to actually be doing uh, maybe ranked better as a top five player of the year list. But um, she was 23 and three. She didn't play very much. And I think what she played two slams this year. So, I mean, I I she won three titles. And uh, obviously, because of the pandemic, she didn't come to the U.S. Open. Wimbledon was canceled and then she played French. So winning three titles, 23 and three, that's pretty darn good. I'd take that any day of the week. I'm just holding her to a new standard. That's how I'm going to look at that perspective. Like, I think she's at a different level. And uh, yeah. And I remember seeing uh, on the Rublev front, I remember seeing him in Doha and he is such a sweet person. I think that's understated because he's super nice and he's not intimidated. Some players are kind of intimidating and like a little bit angry when they're doing press. He is super chill, super nice, considerate, and I guess humble is the word I'd go with. And I wonder if it's because he's in a boy band. Oh, yeah. Does it, does it have anything to do with that? He's like so used to like synergy, you know, and like working with people because he's in a One Direction Russian boy band. Or he was. <laughs> I don't think he's actively doing this anymore. Still we pretty amazing. When I saw that YouTube video, I was like, wow, this is, uh, there's definitely more layers to this onion that I, than I thought. Exactly. We Sweet. know nothing about him. Clearly. Right, moving on to number three, we had Iga Swiatek and Rafa Nadal as number three on our men's list. Uh, Matt, we'll start with you. What was your standouts again from Swiatek? And can you pronounce her name better than we can? And Nadal. 
Um, I'm going to go with no, but I'll give it a shot. Iga Svantec. Oh, that's better than us. Oh, yeah. Sounds much better. You know, what What can you really say about what she did in Paris? I mean, it, it's a little bit shades of Yelena Ostapenko, I think. You know, no titles on tour, unseated. But she just, you know, tore apart everybody she played. And the fact that she was able in a year to completely turn around a performance against a player of Simona Halep's caliber, you know, is, is exciting, you know, to see that she can do that now at 19. Where is she going to be when she's 24 or 25 when you're supposed to be kind of peaking in the sport? Um, Rafa, you know, a lot of people had him as their player of the year for the reason alone of, of tying Roger. But I think um, going three and five against the top 10 and two of those wins coming in Paris, you know, it's just a hard thing to overlook. But to be honest, you guys, I, I know that you guys chose all these number, all these players and everything. He was, he would definitely be my number one. Ooh. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of discussion. Okay. What is the hardest slam to win? Okay. A lot of people say Wimbledon, but I'm going to go ahead and say it's, it's, it's the French open. Um, just because you, there's just so many, adverse there's so much adversity i think that comes from a clay court and compared to the other surfaces correct me if i'm wrong but that's just my opinion um and to be able to do it year after year against the top players and to just be able to perform at that level is just unbelievable to me so yeah it's, it's just ridiculous i got he's he's my number one Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Hi, Tennis.com podcast listeners. This is an episode with special guest Matt Fitzgerald. We're handing out the award for most interesting man and woman of the year. Keep listening. I'm glad you have a different opinion. It's, it's good to hear, but I've always thought the French Open was the hardest to win. So I totally agree with you on that part. But I just think I just think that, I don't know. I mean, 27 and 7 is a pretty good record, but seven losses feels like a lot compared to like the Novak losses, which one of which wasn't even a loss. So we'll get into that. But I want to point out that, yeah, Iga and Rafa have something remarkable in common. <laughs> they have a passion for yachting. Can you imagine that being your hobby? Like, Iga loves boats, and I guess she spent a lot of time on the lakes in Poland. I didn't even know there was lakes in Poland. Um, but she, her dream is to own a yacht, and I'm like, she's absolutely going to buy a yacht soon. It's going to happen in the next five years. Um, and on top of that, for Iga, to be able to come back after – playing at the U.S. Open, losing to Vika, and having a, it was a tough loss for her. And I remember we were discussing this, Nina, how she had spoken to you, I believe. Did you have a conversation with Iga? And she was saying that every single tournament she comes into and she feels yeah. like she has to win. And you were like, wow, that's a lot of pressure. And I was like, well, you know, mm -hmm. I actually understand it. Why, why I'll show up if you're not here to win. Um, and then just right after that, she kind of relaxed a little bit. And sure enough, she was able to go. And she also did remarkable in doubles as well. You have to also keep that into account. So, yeah, great choice for her for number three. 
It is funny though. You mentioned that we spoke, we spoke on like a, it was almost a one-on-one conversation after her first round French open win. And I remember sitting there thinking like, Oh, it's kind of surprising. No one really cares. She just beat last year's finalist. And then to see her go on and win the whole thing. I look back on that interview and I think it's really funny, but she was very, uh, very candid, open, easygoing. I mean, she's kind of still a kid in a way. So let's move on to number two. Naomi Osaka is our women's number two and Dominic team was our men's number two. So again, Matt, we'll give you the floor. Dominic team, you know, you talked, Arena, about why Rafa maybe wasn't number one or number two on the list. I think for me, he had two head-to-head wins against him this year, you know, in such important moments. Um, The Australian Open was a tournament that Rafa hasn't won in 11 years. A lot of people thought maybe this was the time he could get that back. And Dominic really fought through his nerves to win that match. With that, with everything he overcame in New York, he was down and out against Zverev. Saw him serve the set in in the fifth and then had to play a decisive breaker. I think, again, it speaks volumes of the growth and evolution of a player really continuing to develop. And he's not someone who's taken those huge jumps year after year, but he's always gotten better. And that, for me, was was great. And then, you know, ATB finals, he, he beat... Rafa and, and Novak there consecutively. Nina, I'll let you uh, talk about Naomi um, just because she's somebody you've been passionate about. Oh, I have. I've been passionate. But I mean, when I look at the numbers, it is true. She only played literally four events. So having her as number one would have been a bit of a stretch. But I did argue to have her as the player of the year because of the growth she showed both on court and off court. I think you just can't even speak enough volumes about what she's done this year to progress herself as a human. And I know we're we're doing on court, so I'll stick to on court, but her U.S. Open performance was insane. I thought she was just so mature and handled everything so well. And even to say she got the finals of the Western and Southern Open, I mean, she could have won that too, which would have left her with like two losses in the year and two titles. So it's... It's hard because I think she's so, not understated, but I think she's blown up so much for her off-court stuff that we kind of overlook her on-court achievements. And a third Grand Slam at 22, now she's 23, is is super impressive. I agree. And like you said, I mean, it, it's hard to not mention the fact that there was obviously some huge political struggles that were happening in the, in the world during that time. So um, it was pretty impressive to for her confidence just to come out and to be able to see, oh, I have seven masks for this tournament and she wore every single mask. And so, yeah, very impressive to be able to come out on top the way she did. I think a lot of of what we haven't also talked about is how different it is to play and compete in the new normal. Like the, uh, you, you mentioned no fans and some players didn't come and play the U S open or the French open. Like the draws were a bit, bit shaky, but you have to add in that there's this like huge elephant in the room. It's this COVID pandemic and the anxiety of traveling, competing, being around people, being tested. Like I, for one, didn't know I had high function anxiety when it comes to this sort of thing. Like I, I get like so worked up about COVID tests and I didn't know that about myself. And I imagine at least some players have had this and at least their coaches or their parents or whoever's traveling with them has dealt with this new obstacle and it really messes with your head. Like it, it's not funny at all, but it's just such a new thing to deal with before you could take for granted being able to arrive the day before, fly wherever you want, stay wherever you want. And I think we've lost a lot of them. And before you could take for granted showing up sick. Yeah. Um, there's been tournaments where I've been 
pretty much dead as a dog and you still have to show up and, you know, drink a lot of fluids and go on the court. Uh, so yeah. And you have the chance of a false positive as right. we know, there's a good chance of that. So that's a, that's a great point to bring up. I know. And un- until you've been in a bubble and experience what it's like, I mean, you did the hosting at, um, commentary at the U S open. Even so, that I was terrified, yeah, but I'm saying until you've, until you've been in a bubble, you don't understand like what it takes day to day to like get yourself to be able to perform in your case commentary, let alone play a match. Like, right. There's so much that goes into it. So it's, it's just a, sidetracked here let's move on to number one our number one on our list was Novak Djokovic which is a little bit obvious and then Sophia Kennan Matt again floor first to you I'm naturally a person who's glass half empty so I tried to really take a different approach with this I think a, a number of people would be surprised that Novak got one on our list because of all of the stuff that happened off the court with him obviously the blow up with the Adria tour the terrible optics there, no one adhering to, you know, social distancing or protocols. Um, the PTPA timing was something that, that came up discussing magic water on Instagram live, you know, the list goes on, but what about the good? That's what I've tried to look at with both of the selections that we had. He started, I believe 26 and 0. He won an eighth Australian open. He won both masters 1000 titles. His point haul was insane, like 2,600 more than any other player. And what about the good he did off the court? He had a million euros, I think, donated towards buying ventilators in his home country. He was one of the first to give to a hospital in Bergamo, Italy, early in the pandemic, one of the areas that was hit. There was a lot of good. I think, I think he has a good heart. Um, just some of the decisions that are made are just... You sometimes have to have to wonder why. For me, you know, player of the year, you can consider some of the off-court stuff, but this also isn't a Time Magazine selection. It's not person of the year, necessarily. And the same thing would go with Sophia. You know, she, she had some, uh, a three-match losing streak after winning her first Grand Slam. She got double bageled by Victoria Azarenka in Rome. But what did she do after that? She made the Roland Garros final, and she had never been... I believe beyond the round of 16 at any clay court event before. So just her resilience and kind of being able to, to deliver in the big moments this year um, was really, you know, a testament to her being the best player of the season in a limited season. I want to add that for the tennis.com story, I had Novak Djokovic and I was assigned him and I feel like I was super negative. So, so uh, yeah, I hope people enjoy that. And then for Sophia Kennan, um, I went to World Team Tennis, and so I felt like I spent a lot of time with her or around her. And just to see how she's capable of working so hard and being so focused on, like, what she needs to do day in and day out, even if there is no tour, is crazy. Like, she's so dedicated to the sport, um, and she deserves Player of the Year, but I also wanted Naomi to get it, too. And I believe that she said, she was like, yeah, I've been practicing every single day. Like, takes one day off during the week, so... Yeah, it was, she never stopped. That's our list. Let's move on to the most interesting man and or woman award of the year. Uh, I don't think we ever really do this, but it's just kind of seems something quirky and fun for this year. The idea is to pick somebody who surprises you, someone who does something, things a little differently and someone you're excited to watch and excited to hear from. So Matt, who who was your pick? I wanted to try to give some love to somebody we haven't necessarily talked about. So I went with Anz Jabor. 
I just was really captivated by her growth as a player this year. And just, you know, you, you kind of don't know what you're going to get in the match. She has a lot of variety. She isn't afraid to wear her heart on her sleeve. And she's another one of those players that can get down really easily or can go up and, and see leads evaporate. So she really takes you on a roller coaster. And I think that's really exciting. I think this is just the beginning for her and just representing a part of the world that doesn't have a huge place in global sports just goes to show again how tennis can connect so many people. And it's, it's just wonderful to see. Um, for the most interesting man, I went with Dominic Team. I guess it shouldn't be as a surprise, uh, given his history of playing so many tournaments and traveling all over the world with ridiculous schedules, but I just couldn't believe how much he was actually willing to play during the pandemic. I don't know the exact number, but... 22 matches. 22 matches. Like, France, Germany, Serbia, Austria, like, he, he went wherever he could, he then gets blown out, like literally two and one to Krajanovic in just over an hour in his first match back on tour. And we're like thinking, what was he actually doing, you know, during the pandemic? And then wins the freaking US Open, you know, from two sets down. I just find him so like cut and dry and by the book. So, I mean, you're pointing, you're making some good, you're making a good argument. You are, but I just find him so, I'm not going to say dull, just so predictable that's what i'm gonna go with i would never do the blonde true that is fun maybe he's hiding something that i just haven't uncovered but uh for for my most interesting man of the year i went with stefano Pass because you just never know what he's gonna do during the whole uh during the pandemic the new normal he was asked about what he gets out of press conferences and he revealed that he used to be uh the proud editor of a tennis blog uh, and he would cover the news about usually the big three. He would have been like 11 or 12. And he covered the news like every single day and was updating his website. And he's really passionate about journalism. And I didn't know that. And he wants people to ask him hard questions and interesting questions. He wants people to like share his, you know, inner thoughts of his mind. And I just find him so wacky. <laughs> and then the women, I think I chose um, Arena Sabalenka because similarly, like she always kind of comes up with these quotes. You just can't, you just don't expect it from her. She comes off really candid and honest and uh, she has a, a tattoo that's really cool. Wow. Okay. Yep. I know mine are going to be kind of strange, but Naomi Osaka is probably going to be my most interesting player of the year. One highest paid female athlete of the year, uh, played four events and was able to come out when there was a global pandemic happening and political divisiveness that was happening in in the states where she was playing the u.s open and was able to overcome that and uh yeah i'm gonna go with her and then rublev my boy band guy um i just think he's just so underrated and you know i i i'm stalking his instagram now and um yeah he's just he's 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 like my dark horse at all times and uh yeah those are my top two these are great choices. It just it just seems like Naomi Osaka changed the world. I know that's a little bit dramatic, but it's how it, how it feels in terms of tennis becoming more mainstream, and I, I love when that happens. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. 
With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, listeners. This is an episode with special guest Matt Fitzgerald as we recap this crazy 2020 season. Keep listening. Okay, so we've gone through the player list. We've gone through the most interesting players of the year. And now we're going to move into kind of a faster game, a way of recapping this crazy season. Uh, Tennis.com and Tennis Channel did this social media campaign uh, asking people to vote. It was a voting year after all, in case you missed it. And the idea was people would cast their ballots. So most shocking moment of 2020. The options were COVID-19 breakout ends Andrea Tour, Novak defaulted at the U.S. Open, the French Open in October, or Wimbledon's cancellation. Give me your picks and give them fast. I'm going to go ahead with Wimbledon's pandemic insurance, where they were able to get a bunch of money from putting that little, in, putting that in, in the fine print. And uh, yeah, that was, that's fast. That's mine. Matt? For me, Wimbledon's cancellation, not having it for the first time in 75 years, I think that really made the pandemic real for everyone because it is the most iconic tournament we have. You guys are Wimbledon obsessed. I think Novak hitting the Lions judge perfectly in the neck is mine. That's just, it was unreal. Overplayed. <laughs> I mean, let's let's move on. Best off-court musical talent of 2020. I think that there's a lot more than this out there. We have Roger Federer singing Hugo Humbert piano playing, Corentin Mutet and Denis Shapovalov's rap collaboration efforts, and Diana Rostramska's singing abilities. Matt, what do you think? Because I played a little piano when I was a teenager, I'm going to go with Ugo. His melodies are, are pretty great. <laughs> I'm taking piano lessons right now, but I'm still going to go with Roger Federer because I love Raj. It's fair. And I'm going to go with the rap battles. I think putting yourself out there that the way that those two have is impressive. Um, let's move on to most likely to win their first major in 21. We have Sabalenka, Tsitsipas, Zverev, or other. Matt, go ahead. I'm going to actually go with uh, Denai Medvedev. I think the U.S. Open is the best chance still for anybody with the big three being so prominent. So I'll go with him. I'm going to go with Sabalenka. I mean, the girl's unstoppable and she's, I mean, she's so close. She is fiery. She's going to get it. I think Elise Mertens. I just feel like someone a little bit more random is going to win again on the women's door. Good choice. And finally, player that we are most excited to see return in 2021. Bianca Andreescu, Ash Barty, Roger Federer, Nick Kyrgios, or you can invent your own. I mean, do we even have to say it for me? It's obviously Roger Federer. I just can't wait to see him back on the court with his logo, by the way, which is so exciting. And girl, Matt, what do you think? Uh, let's go with BB. She hasn't played in over a year, and I'm really interested to see what she's like when she first comes back. And I'm going to go with Nick Kyrgios because everything he does is entertainment. <laughs> I miss him so much. Uh, okay, so what else are we looking forward to in 2021? The ATP recently came out with a schedule. It looks like Delray Beach is happening, which is insane. And then a huge chunk of the rest of the announced tournaments are in Melbourne. So if you're living there, you're in luck. Irina, I want to ask you then, what are you most looking forward to in 2021 in terms of like the tours, watching Australian Open? Like what, what is it for you? It's going to be so weird watching the Australian Open in February. I mean, I know that we talked about French Open being in October, but 
you start off the year usually with Australia and it just sets you up for the rest of the year and everybody just feels so good about going to Australia, but it's just going to be so strange going in there and having to quarantine. Australia's killing it. They went from crazy lockdown to like totally normal living right now. I think once the players get in, they're going to be relieved to be there, but it's going to be sad being left out. Matt, what, what are you looking forward to? I'll go a little bit off the beaten path as someone who's a huge fan of the Olympics and just seeing the number of players who have been talking about wanting to win that gold medal. Roger's obviously going to make that a priority. Novak doesn't have that in his trophy cabinet. And then Serena and Venus, like all the medals they've won, you've got to think that this is something they've had their eye on. So for me, I really hope there's a way for Tokyo 2021 to happen. That's a great one. I think that 2020 has given us a lot more connectivity with players, with our guests. I think the discovery of Zoom in my life has been life-changing. And just being able to reach out to players and having them being more eager to chat has been a really, really massive positive for this year. It uh, it was a tough time, but like you said, Zoom made it so easy. And honestly, they didn't they couldn't give us an excuse as to why they couldn't talk to us for a little bit. Um, and it's been so much fun just learning about tennis and learning about these players' lives and getting more connected with them. So yes, it, it's been a global pandemic, but we've also been able to really connect with players, which has definitely been fun. Yeah, I agree. It's been a blessing in disguise in a way to be able to advance our relationships with people. I mean, not just our guests, but our, our colleagues and our friends. And I think there's there's a lot to be taken from this into the new year. And Matt, we're also appreciative for your time today because it's been fun looking back. And it's amazing how much we get to talk about despite there only being half a season. So that's also a testament to tennis's desire to kind of overcome all obstacles. So thank you, Matt. Well, thank you guys for having me. I know I'm not the easiest person to listen to, but I appreciate the opportunity to kind of share my opinions on a year that we certainly won't forget. You did great, Matt. So much fun, so much fun. All right, guys, that's it for 2020. From the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, this has been the Tennis.com Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay caught up. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major listening app, as well as tennis.com slash podcasts. You can also see the videos of our episodes on Tennis Channel's YouTube page and tennis.com's Facebook page. We're your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. We'd like to thank our team, editor and audio designer and video editor, Christina Koseva, producers Alexa March and Sean O'Malley, and executive producers Shelby Coleman, Kyle Einhorn, and Andy Chu.